Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Section 1 of the Iliad of Homer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer. Translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 1. Preface. The present translation of the Iliad will, it is hoped, be found to convey more accurately than any which has preceded it, the words and thoughts of the original. It is based upon a careful examination of whatever has been contributed by scholars of every age towards the elucidation of the text, including the ancient scholiasts and lexicographers, the exegetical labors of Barnes and Clark, and the elaborate criticisms of Hain, Wolfe, and their successors. The necessary brevity of the notes has prevented the full discussion of many passages where there is great room for difference of opinion, and hence Several interpretations are adopted without question, which, had the editor's object been to write a critical commentary, would have undergone a more lengthened examination. The same reason has compelled him, in many instances, to substitute references for extracts, indicating rather than quoting those storehouses of information from whose abundant contents he would gladly have drawn more copious supplies. Among the numerous works to which he has had recourse, the following deserve particular mention. Alberti's invaluable edition of Hezekius, the commentary of Eustathius, and Butman's Lexilagus. In the succeeding volume, the Odyssey, hymns, and minor poems will be produced in a similar manner. Theodore Alois Buckley, Christ Church, Oxford. End of the Preface Book the First of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer. Translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 1. Book the First. Argument. Apollo, enraged at the insult offered to his priest Chryses, sends a pestilence upon the Greeks. A council is called and Agamemnon, being compelled to restore the daughter of Chryses, whom he had taken from him, in revenge, deprives Achilles of Hippodamia. Achilles resigns her, but refuses to aid the Greeks in battle, and at his request his mother, Thetis, petitions Jove to honor her offended son at the expense of the Greeks. Jupiter, despite the opposition of Juno, grants her request. Sing, O goddess, the destructive wrath of Achilles, son of Peleus, which brought countless woes upon the Greeks, and hurled many valiant souls of heroes down to Hades, and made themselves a prey to dogs and to all birds. But the will of Jove was being accomplished, from the time when Atrides, king of men, and noble Achilles, first contending, 
were disunited. Which, then, of the gods engaged these two in strife, so that they should fight? The son of Letona and Jove, for he, enraged with the king, stirred up an evil pestilence through the army, and the people kept perishing. Because the son of Atreus had dishonored the priest Chryses, for he came to the swift ships of the Greeks to ransom his daughter, and bringing invaluable ransoms, having in his hands the fillets of far-darting Apollo on his golden scepter. And he supplicated all the Greeks, but chiefly the two sons of Atreus, the leaders of the people. Ye sons of Atreus, and ye other well-grieved Greeks, to you indeed may the gods, possessing the heavenly dwellings, grant to destroy the city of Priam, and to return home safely. But for me, liberate my beloved daughter, and accept the ransoms, reverencing the son of Job, far-darting Apollo. Upon this, all the other Greeks shouted assent that the priest should be reverenced, and the splendid ransoms accepted. Yet was it not pleasing in his mind to Agamemnon, son of Atreus, but he dismissed him evilly, and added a harsh mandate, Let me not find thee, old man, at the hollow barks, either now loitering, or hereafter returning, lest the staff and fillet of the god avail thee not. For her I will not set free, sooner shall old age come upon her, at home in Argos, far away from her native land, employed in offices of the loom, and preparing my bed. But away, irritate me not, that thou mayest return the safer. Thus he spoke, but the old man was afraid, and obeyed the command, and he went in silence along the shore of the loud resounding sea. But then, going apart, the aged man prayed much to King Apollo, whom fair-haired Latona bore. Hear me, god of the silver bow, who art wont to protect Chrysa, and divine Scylla, and who mightily rulest over Tenedos, O Smintheus, if ever I have roofed thy graceful temple, or if moreover at any time I have burned to thee the fat thighs of bulls, or of goats, accomplish this entreaty for me, let the Greeks pay for my tears by thy arrows. Thus he spoke praying, but to him Phoebus Apollo hearkened, and he descended from the summits of Olympus, enraged in heart, having upon his shoulders his bow and quiver covered on all sides. But as he moved, the shafts rattled forthwith upon the shoulders of him enraged. But he went along like unto the night. Then he sat down apart from the ships, and sent among them an arrow, and terrible arose the clang of the silver bow. First he attacked the mules, and the swift dogs, but afterwards, dispatching a pointed arrow against the Greeks themselves, he smote them, and frequent funeral piles of the dead were continually burning. Nine days through the army went the arrows of the god, but on the tenth Achilles called the people to an assembly, for to his mind the white-armed goddess Juno had suggested it, for she was anxious concerning the Greeks, because she saw them perishing. But when they accordingly were assembled, and were met together, swift-footed Achilles, rising up amidst them, thus spoke, 
O son of Atreus, now do I think that we would consent to return, having been defeated in our purpose, if we should not but escape death, since at the same time war and pestilence subdue the Greeks. But come now, let us consult some prophet or priest, or even one who is informed by dreams, for dream also is from Jove, who would tell us on what account Phoebus Apollo is so much enraged with us, whether he blames us on account of a vow unperformed, or a hecatomb unoffered, and whether happily he may be willing, having partaken of the savour of lambs and unblemished goats, to avert from us the pestilence. He indeed, thus having spoken, sat down, but to them there arose by far the best of ogres, Calchas, son of Thestor, who knew the present, the future, and the past, and who guided the ships of the Greeks to Ilium by his prophetic art, which Phoebus Apollo gave him, who, being well disposed, addressed them, and said, O Achilles, dear to Jove, thou biddest me to declare the wrath of Apollo, the far-darting king. Therefore will I declare it, but do thou on thy part covenant, and swear to me, that thou wilt promptly assist me in word and hand, for methinks I shall irritate a man who widely rules over all the Argives, and whom the Greeks obey, for a king is more powerful when he is enraged with an inferior man, for though he may repress his wrath for that same day, yet he afterwards retains his anger in his heart, until he accomplishes it. But do thou consider whether thou wilt protect me. But him, swift-footed Achilles, answering addressed, Taking full confidence, declare the divine oracle whatsoever thou knowest. For by Apollo, dear to Jove, to whom thou, praying, O Calchas, dost disclose predictions to the Greeks, no one of all the Greeks, while I am alive and have sight upon the earth, shall lay heavy hands upon thee at the hollow ships, not even if thou wast to name Agamemnon, who now boasts himself to be much the most powerful of the Greeks. And upon this the blameless prophet then took confidence and spoke, Neither is he enraged on account of a vow unperformed, nor of a hecatomb unoffered, but on account of his priest, whom Agamemnon dishonoured, neither did he liberate his daughter, nor did he receive her ransom. Wherefore has the far daughter given woes, and still will he give them? Nor will he withhold his heavy hands from the pestilence, before that Agamemnon restore to her dear father the bright-eyed maid, unpurchased, unransomed, and conduct a sacred hecatomb to Chrysa. Then, perhaps, having appeased, we might persuade him. He indeed, having thus spoken, sat down. But to them arose the hero, the son of Atreus, wide-ruling Agamemnon, agitated, and his all-gloomy heart was greatly filled with wrath, and his eyes were like unto gleaming fire. Sternly regarding Calchas, most of all, he addressed, Prophet of ills, not at any time hast thou spoken anything good for me, but evils are always gratifying to thy soul to prophesy, and never yet hast thou offered one good word, nor accomplished one. And now, prophesying among the Greeks, thou harangest that forsooth the far darter works griefs to them upon this account, because I was unwilling to accept the splendid ransom of the virgin daughter of Chryses, since I much prefer to have her at home. And my reason is, I prefer her even to Clytemnestra, my lawful wife, for she is not inferior to her either in person, or in figure, or in mind, 
or by any means accomplishments. But even thus I am willing to restore her, if it be better, for I wish the people to be safe rather than to perish. But do thou immediately prepare a prize for me, that I may not alone of the Argives be without a prize, since it is not fitting. For ye all see this, that my prize is going elsewhere. But him swift-footed godlike Achilles then answered, Most noble son of Atreus, most avaricious of all, for how shall the magnanimous Greeks assign thee a prize? Nor do we know of many common stores laid up anywhere. But what we plundered from the cities, these have been divided, and it is not fitting that the troops should collect these brought together again. But do thou now let her go to the god, and we Greeks will compensate thee thrice, or fourfold, if haply Jove grant to us, to sack the well-fortified city of Troy. But him answering, King Agamemnon addressed, Do not thus, excellent thou though be, godlike Achilles, practice deceit in thy mind, since thou shalt not overreach, nor yet persuade me. Dost thou wish that thou thyself mayest have a prize, whilst I sit down idly, wanting one? And dost thou bid me to restore her? If, however, the magnanimous Greeks will give me a prize, having suited it to my mind, so that it shall be an equivalent, it is well. But if they will not give it, then I myself coming will seize your prize, or that of Ajax, or Ulysses, and will bear it away, and he to whom I may come shall have cause for anger. On these things, however, we will consult afterwards. But now come, let us launch a sable ship into the boundless sea, and let us collect into it rowers in sufficient number, and place on board a hecatomb, and let us make the fair-cheeked daughter of Chryses to embark and let some one noble man be commander, Ajax, or Edomeneus, or divine Ulysses, or thyself, son of Peleus, most terrible of all men, that thou mayest appease for us the far daughter, having offered sacrifices. But him swift-footed Achilles, sternly regarding, addressed, Ha! thou clad in impudence, thou bent on gain, how can any of the Greeks willingly obey thy orders, either to undertake a mission, or to fight bravely with men? For I did not come hither to fight on account of the warlike Trojans, seeing that they are blameless as respects me, since they have never driven away my oxen, nor my horses either, nor ever injured my crops in fertile and populous Pythia, for very many shadowy mountains and the resounding sea are between us. But thee, O most shameless man, we follow, that thou mayest rejoice, seeking satisfaction from the Trojans for Menelaus, and for thy pleasure, shameless one, for which things thou hast neither respect nor care, and now thou hast threatened that thou wilt in person wrest from me my prize, for which I have toiled much, and which the sons of the Greeks have given me, Whenever the Greeks sacked a well-inhabited city of the Trojans, I never have had a prize equal to thine. Although my hands perform the greater portion of the tumultuous conflict, yet when the division of spoil may come, a much greater prize is given to thee, while I come to my ships. When I am fatigued with fighting, having one small and agreeable, but now I will go to Phythia, for it is much better to return home with our curved ships for I do not think that thou shalt amass wealth and treasures while I am dishonoured here. But him, the king of men, Agamemnon, then answered, 
fly by all means if thy mind urges thee nor will i entreat thee to remain on my account there are others with me who will honour me but chiefly the all-wise jove for to me thou art the most odious of the jove nourished princes for ever is contention agreeable to thee and wars and battles if thou be very bold why doubtless a deity has given this to thee going home with thy ships and thy companions rule over the myrmidons for i do not regard thee nor care for thee in thy wrath but thus will i threaten thee since phoebus apollo is depriving me of the daughter of chryses her indeed i will send with my own ship and with my own friends but i myself going to thy tent will lead away the fair-cheeked daughter of Briseis, thy prize that thou mayest well know how much more powerful i am than thou and that another may dread to pronounce himself equal to me and to liken himself openly to me thus he spake and grief arose to the son of peleus and the heart within in his hairy breast was pondering upon two courses whether drawing his sharp sword from his thigh he should dismiss them and should kill the son of atreus or should put a stop to his wrath and restrain his passion while he was thus pondering in his heart and soul and was drawing his mighty sword from the scabbard came minerva from heaven from her the white-armed goddess juno had sent forward equally loving and regarding both from her soul and she stood behind and caught the son of peleus by his yellow hair appearing to him alone but none of the others beheld her but achilles was amazed and turned himself around and immediately recognized pallas minerva and awe-inspiring her eyes appeared to him and addressing her he spoke winged words why o offspring of aegis bearing job hast thou come hither is it that thou mayest witness the insolence of agamemnon the son of atreus but i tell thee what i think will be accomplished that he will probably soon lose his life by his haughtiness but him in turn the azure-eyed goddess minerva addressed i came from heaven to assuage thy wrath if thou wilt obey me for the white-armed goddess juno sent me forward equally loving and regarding both from her soul but come cease from strife nor draw the sword with thine hand but reproach thy words as the occasion may suggest for thus i declare and it shall be accomplished that thrice as many splendid gifts shall be presented to thee because of this insolent act only restrain thyself and obey us but her answering swift-footed achilles addressed it behoves me to observe the command of you both o goddess although much enraged in my soul for so it is better whosoever obeys the gods to him they hearken propitiously he spoke and held still his heavy hand upon the silvery hilt and thrust back the great sword into the scabbard nor did he disobey the mandate of minerva but she had gone to olympus to the mansions of aegis bearing jove amongst the other deities but the son of peleus again addressed atrides with injurious words nor as yet ceased from anger wine-bibber having the countenance of a dog but the heart of a stag never hast thou at any time dared in soul to arm thyself with the people for war nor to go to ambuscade with the chiefs of the greeks for this always appears to thee to be death certainly it is much better through the wide army of the achaeans to take away the rewards of whoever may speak against thee a people devouring king art thou 
since thou rulest over fellows of no account for assuredly son of atreus thou otherwise wouldst have insulted now for the last time but i will tell thee and i will further swear a great oath yea by this sceptre which will never bear leaves and branches nor will bud again after it has once left its trunk on the mountains for the axe has lopped it all around of its leaves and bark but now the sons of the greeks the judges they who protect the laws recede from jove bear it in their hands and this will be a great oath to thee surely will a longing desire for achilles come upon all the sons of the achaeans at some future day and thou although much grieved wilt be unable to assist them when many dying shall fall by the hand of manslaying hector then enraged wilt thou inwardly fret thy soul that thou didst in no way honour the bravest of the greeks thus spoke the son of peleus and he cast upon the earth his sceptre studded with golden nails and sat down but on the other hand the son of atreus was enraged therefore to them arose the sweet-voiced nestor the harmonious orator of the pelians from whose tongue flowed language sweeter than honey during his life two generations of articulately speaking men had become extinct who formerly were reared and lived with him in divine pilus but he was now ruling over the third who wisely counselling addressed them and said o gods surely a greater sorrow comes upon the grecian land verily priam would exult and the sons of priam and the other trojans would greatly rejoice in their souls if they were to hear these things of you twain contending you who in counsel and in fighting surpass the greeks but be persuaded for ye are both younger than i am for already in former times i have associated with men braver than you and they never disdained me i never saw nor shall i see such men as pyrithus and dryas shepherd of the people and canus and exadius and godlike polyphemus and theseus the son of aegeus like unto the immortals bravest indeed were they trained up of earthly men bravest they were and they fought with the bravest centaurs of the mountain caves and terribly slew them with these was i conversant coming from pylus far from the apian land for they invited me and i fought to the best of my power but with them none of these who now are mortals upon the earth could fight and even they heard my counsels and obeyed my words but do ye also obey since it is better to be obedient nor do thou although being powerful take away the maid from him but leave it so seeing that the sons of the greeks first gave her as a prize on him nor do thou o son of peleus feel inclined to contend against the king since never yet has any sceptre-bearing king to whom jove has given glory been allotted an equal share of dignity but though thou be of superior strength and a goddess mother has given thee birth yet he is superior in power inasmuch as he rules more people do thou son of atreus repress thine anger for it is i that entreat thee to forego thy resentment on behalf of achilles who is the great bulwark of destructive war to all the achaeans but him king agamemnon answering addressed of a truth thou hast said all these things old man according to what is right 
but this man is desirous to be above all other men he wishes to have the mastery and lord it over all and to prescribe to all with which his desires i think some one will not comply but if the ever-existing gods have made him a warrior do they therefore give him the right to utter insults but him noble achilles interruptingly answered yea forsooth i may be called a coward and a man of no worth if now i yield to thee in everything whatever thou mayest say enjoin these things to other men for dictate not to me for i think that i shall no longer obey thee but another thing will i tell thee and do thou store it in thy mind i will not contend with my hands neither with thee nor with others on account of this maid since ye the donors take her away but of the other effects which i have at my swift black ship of those thou shalt not remove one taking them away i being unwilling but if thou wilt come make trial that these also may know quickly shall thy black blood flow around my lance thus these twain striving with contrary words arose and they broke up the assembly at the ships of the greeks the son of peleus on his part repaired to his tents and well-proportioned ships with the son of menetius and his companions but the son of atreus launched his swift ship into the sea and selected and put into it twenty rowers and embarked a hecatomb for the god and he led the fair daughter of chryses and placed her on board and the very wise ulysses embarked as conductor they then embarking sailed over the watery paths but the son of atreus ordered the armies to purify themselves and they were purified and cast forth the ablutions into the sea and they sacrificed to apollo perfect hecatombs of bulls and goats along the shore of the barren sea and the savour involved in smoke ascended to heaven thus were they employed in these things through the army nor did agamemnon cease from the contention which at first he threatened against achilles but he thus addressed talthybius and eurybates who were his heralds and zealous attendants going to the tent of achilles the son of peleus lead away fair briseis having taken her by the hand but if he will not give her then i myself coming with great numbers will take her and this will be more grievous to him thus speaking he dispatched them having added a harsh command but they reluctantly went along the shore of the barren sea and came to the tents and ships of the myrmidons and they found him sitting at his tent and his black ship nor did achilles seeing them rejoice but they confused and reverencing the king stood still nor addressed him at all nor spoke their bidding but he perceived it in his mind and said hail heralds messenger of jove and also of men come near for ye are not blamable to me in the least but agamemnon who has sent you on account of the maid briseis however come noble patroclus lead forth the maid and give her to them to conduct but let these be witnesses of the insult offered me both before the blessed god and before mortal men and before the merciless king but if ever again there shall be need of me to avert unseemly destruction from the rest appeal to me shall be in vain for surely he rages with an infatuated mind nor knows at all how to view the future and the past in order that the greeks may fight in safety at their ships thus he spake and patroclus obeyed his dear companion 
and led forth fair-cheeked Perseus from the tent, and gave her to them to conduct. And they returned along by the ships of the Greeks, but the woman went with them reluctantly, whilst Achilles, weeping, immediately sat down, removed apart from his companions, upon the shore of the hoary sea, gazing on the darkling main, and much he besought his dear mother, stretching forth his hands. O mother, since thou hast borne me to be but short-lived, at least an ought high thundering Olympian Jove to have vouchsafed honour to me, but now he has not honoured me ever so little, for the son of Atreus of wide-ruling Agamemnon has dishonoured me, for he, taking away my prize, possesses it, himself having wrested it from me. Thus he spoke, weeping, but to him his venerable mother hearkened, sitting in the depths of the ocean beside her aged sire, and immediately she rose up from the hoary deep, like a mist, and then she sat before him weeping, and soothed him with her hand, and addressed him, and spoke aloud, Son, why weepest thou, on account of what has grief come upon thy mind? Declare it, nor hide it in thy soul, that we both may know it. But her, sighing deeply, swift-footed Achilles addressed, Thou knowest, why should I tell all these things to thee, already knowing them? We went against Thebe, the sacred city of Aetion, and this we plundered, and brought hither all the spoil. And these things indeed the sons of the Greeks fairly divided among themselves, and selected for Agamemnon the fair-cheeked daughter of Chryses. But Chryses, priest of the far-darting Apollo, came afterwards to the fleet of ships of the brazen-mailed Greeks, about to ransom his daughter, and bringing invaluable ransoms, having in his hand the fillets of far-darting Apollo on his golden sceptre. And he supplicated all the Greeks, but chiefly the two sons of Atreus, the leaders of the people. Upon this all the other Greeks shouted assent, that the priest should be reverenced, and the splendid ransoms accepted. Yet it was not pleasing to Agamemnon, son of Atreus, in his mind, but he dismissed him evilly, and added a harsh mandate. The old man therefore went back enraged. But Apollo hearkened to him, praying, for he was very dear to him. And he sent a destructive arrow against the Greeks, and the forces were now dying one upon another, and the shafts of the god went on all sides through the wide army of the Greeks. But to us the skilful seer unfolded the divine will of the far-darter. Straightway I first exhorted that we should appease the god, but then rage seized upon the son of Atreus, and instantly rising he uttered a threatening speech, which is now accomplished. For the rolling-eyed Greeks attend her to Chrysa with a swift bark, and bring presents to the king. But the heralds have just now gone from my tent, conducting the virgin daughter of Briseis, whom the sons of the Greeks gave to me. But do thou, if thou art able, aid thy son. Going to Olympus, supplicate Jove, if ever thou didst delight the heart of Jove, as to anything, by word or deed. For I frequently heard thee boasting in the palaces of my sire, when thou saidst that thou alone, amongst the immortals, didst avert unworthy destruction from the cloud-collecting son of Saturn, when the other Olympian inhabitants, Juno and Neptune, and Pallas Minerva wished to bind him. But thou, O goddess, having approached, freed him from his chains, having quickly summoned to lofty Olympus the hundred-handed whom the gods call 
Briarius, and all men Aegeon, because he was superior to his father in strength, who then sat by the son of Saturn exulting in renown. Him then the blessed gods dreaded, nor did they bind Jove. Of these things now reminding him, sit beside him, and embrace his knees, if in any wise he may consent to aid the Trojans, and hem in at their ships, and along the sea, the Greeks, while they get slaughtered, that all may enjoy their king, and that the son of Atreus, wide-ruling Agamemnon, may know his baleful folly, when he in no wise honoured the bravest of the Greeks. But him Thetis then answered, shedding down a tear, Alas, my son, wherefore have I reared thee? having brought thee forth in an evil hour would that thou wert seated at the ships tearless and uninjured for thy destined life is but for a very short period nor very long but now art thou both swift-fated and wretched above all mortals therefore i have brought thee forth in my palace under an evil fate however to tell thy words to thunder delighting jove i myself will go to snow-clad olympus if by chance he will be persuaded. But do thou, now sitting at the swift ships, wage resentments against the Greeks, and totally abstain from war, for yesterday Jove went to Oceanus, to the blameless Ethiopians, to a banquet, and with him went all the gods. But on the twelfth day he will return to Olympus, and then will I go to the brazen-floored palace of Jove, and suppliantly embrace his knees, and I think that he will be persuaded." Thus having said, she departed, and left him there wrathful in his soul for his well-girded maid, whom they had taken from him against his will. But Ulysses, meantime, came to Chrysa, bringing the sacred hecatomb. But they, when they had entered the deep haven, first furled their sails, and stowed them in a sable bark. They next brought the mast to its receptacle, lowering it quickly by its stays, and then rowed the vessel forwards with oars into its moorage. They heaved out the sleepers, and tied the hawsers. They themselves then went forth on the breakers of the sea, and disembarked the hecatomb to far-darting Apollo, and then they made the daughter of Chryses descend from the sea-traversing bark. Then wise Ulysses, leading her to the altar, placed her in the hands of her dear father, and addressed him, O Chryses, Agamemnon, king of men, sent me forth to conduct to thee thy daughter and to sacrifice a sacred hecatomb to Phoebus for the Greeks, that we may appease the king, who now has sent evils fraught with groanings upon the Argives. Thus having spoken, he placed her in his hands. But he, rejoicing, received his beloved daughter. Then they immediately placed in order the splendid hecatomb for the god around the well-built altar. After that they washed their hands and held up the pounded barley. But for them, Chryses, uplifting his hands, prayed with a loud voice, Hear me, O thou of the silver bow, who art wont to protect Chrysa and divine Scylla, and who mightily rulest over Tenedos. Already indeed at a former time didst thou hear me praying, and didst honour me, and didst very much afflict the people of the Greeks. Now also accomplish for me this further request. Even now avert from the Greeks this unseemly pestilence. Thus he spoke praying, and him Phoebus Apollo heard. But after they had prayed and sprinkled the pounded barley, they first bent back the neck of the victims, killed them, and flayed them, and cut out the thighs, and wrapped them round with the fat, having arranged it in double folds, then laid the raw flesh upon them. 
Then the old man burned them on billets, and poured sparkling wine upon them, and near him the youths held five-pronged spits in their hands. But after the thighs were roasted, and they had tasted the entrails, they then cut the rest of them into small pieces, and fixed them on spits, and roasted them skilfully, and drew all the viands off the spits. But when they had ceased from their labor, and had prepared the banquet, they feasted, nor did their soul in any wise lack a due allowance of the feast. But when they had dismissed the desire of drink and food, the youths on the one hand filled the goblets with wine to the brim, and handed round the wine to all, having poured the first of the wine into the cups. But the Grecian youths throughout the day were appeasing the gods by song, chanting the joyous paean, hymning the far darter, and he was delighted in his mind as he listened. But when the sun had set and the darkness came on, then they slept near the hawsers of their ships. But when the mother of dawn, rosy-fingered morning, appeared, straight away then they set sail for the spacious camp of the Achaeans, and to them far-darting Apollo sent a favorable gale. But they erected the mast and expanded the white sails. The wind streamed into the bosom of the sail, and as the vessel briskly ran, the dark wave roared loudly around the keel. But she scudded through the wave, holding on her way. But when they reached the wide armament of the Greeks, they drew up the black ship on the continent, far upon the sand, and stretched long props under it. But they dispersed themselves through their tents and ships. But the Jove-sprung son of Peleus, swift-footed Achilles, continued his wrath, sitting at his swift ships, nor ever did he frequent the assembly of noble heroes, nor the fight, but he pined away his dear heart, remaining there, although he longed for the din and the battle. Now when the twelfth morning from that time arose, then indeed all the gods who are forever went together to Olympus, but Jupiter proceeded. But Thetis was not forgetful of the charges of her son, but she emerged from the wave of the sea, and at dawn ascended lofty heaven and Olympus, and she found the far-seeing son of Saturn sitting apart from the others, on the highest summit of many-peaked Olympus, and then she sat down before him, and embraced his knees with her left hand, but with the right taking him by the chin, imploring, she thus addressed King Jove, the son of Saturn, O father Jove, if ever I have aided thee among the immortals, either in word or deed, accomplish for me this desire. Honour my son, who is the most short-lived of others, for now indeed Agamemnon, the king of men, has disgraced him, for he possesses his prize, he himself having borne it away. Do thou at least, Olympian Jove, all-counselling, honour him, and so long grant victory to the Trojans, until the Greeks shall reverence my son, and shall advance him in honour. Thus she spoke, but cloud-compelling Jove answered her nothing, but sat silent for a long time, and as Thetis seized his knees, fast clinging she held them, and thus again entreated, Do but now promise to me explicitly, and grant or refuse, for in thee there is no dread, that I may well know how far I am the most dishonoured goddess amongst all. But her cloud-compelling Jove, deeply moved, addressed, Truly now this will be a grievous matter, since thou wilt cause me to give offence to Juno, when she shall irritate me with reproachful words, for even without reason she is perpetually chiding me amongst the immortal gods, 
and also says that I aid the Trojans in battle. But do thou on thy part now depart, lest Juno behold thee. But these things shall be my care until I perform them. But if thou wilt have it thus, so be it. I will nod to thee with my head, that thou mayest feel confidence. For this from me is the greatest pledge among the immortals. For my pledge, even whatsoever I shall sanction by nod, is not to be retracted, neither fallacious nor unfulfilled. The son of Saturn spoke, and nodded thereupon with his dark eyebrows, and then the ambrosial locks of the king were shaken over him from his immortal head, and he made mighty Olympus tremble. Thus having conferred, they separated. She at once plunged from splendid Olympus into the profound sea, but Jove on the other hand returned to his palace. But all the gods rose up together from their seats to meet their sire, nor did any dare to await him approaching, but all rose in his presence. Thus indeed he sat there on his throne, nor was Juno unconscious, having seen that silver-footed Thetis, the daughter of the marine old man, had joined in deliberation with him. Forthwith, with reproaches, she accosted Saturnian Jove. Which of the gods again, O deceitful one, has been concerting measures with thee? Ever is it agreeable to thee, being apart from me, plotting secret things to decide thereon? Nor hast thou ever yet deigned willingly to tell me one word of that of what thou dost meditate? To her then replied the father of men and gods, O Juno, build up no hopes of knowing all my counsels. Difficult would they be for thee, although thou art my consort. But whatever it may be fit for thee to hear, none then either of gods or men shall know it before thee. But whatever I wish to consider apart from the gods, do thou neither inquire into any of these things, nor investigate them. But him the large-eyed venerable Juno then answered, Most dread son of Saturn, what a word hast thou spoken? Hereto have I ever questioned thee much, nor pried into thy secrets but thou mayest very quietly deliberate on those things which thou desirest. But at present I greatly fear in my soul, lest silver-footed Thetis, the daughter of the marine old man, may have influenced thee. For at dawn she sat by thee, and embraced thy knees. To her I suspect thou didst plainly promise that thou wouldst honour Achilles, and destroy many at the ships of the Greeks. But her answering, cloud-compelling Jove addressed, Perverse one! Thou art always suspecting, nor do I escape thee. Nevertheless thou shalt produce no effect at all, but thou shalt be farther from my heart, and this will be more bitter to thee. But granted this be so, it appears to be my pleasure. But sit down in peace, and obey my mandate, lest as many deities as are in Olympus avail thee not against me, I drawing near, when I shall lay my resistless hands upon thee. Thus he spoke, but venerable, large-eyed Juno feared, and sat down silent, having bent her heart to submission. But the heavenly gods murmured throughout the palace of Jove, and the renowned artificer, Vulcan, began to harangue them, doing kind offices to his beloved mother, white-armed Juno. Truly now these will be grievous matters, and no longer tolerable if ye twain contend thus on account of mortals, and excite uproar among the deities. Nor will there be any enjoyment in the delightful banquet, since the worst things prevail. But to my mother I advise, she herself being intelligent, 
to gratify my dear father Jove, lest my sire may again reprove her and disturb our banquet. For if the Olympian thunderer wishes to hurl us from our seats, for he is much the most powerful, but do thou soothe him with gentle words, then will the Olympian king straightway be propitious to us. Thus then he spoke, and rising he placed the double cup in the hand of his dear mother, and addressed her, Be patient, my mother, and restrain thyself, although grieved, lest with my own eyes I behold thee beaten, being very dear to me, nor then indeed should I be able, though full of grief, to assist thee, for Olympian Jove is difficult to be opposed, for heretofore, having seized me by the foot, he cast me, desiring at one time to assist you, down from the heavenly threshold. All day I was carried down through the air, and I fell on Lemnus with the setting sun, and but little life was in me by that time. There the Sintian men forthwith received and tended me, having fallen. Thus he spoke, but the white-armed goddess Juno smiled, and smiling, she received the cup from the hand of her son but he beginning from the left to right kept pouring out for all the other gods drawing nectar from the goblet and then inextinguishable laughter arose among the immortal gods when they saw vulcan bustling about through the mansion thus then they feasted the entire day till the setting sun nor did the soul want anything of the equal feast nor of the beautiful harp which apollo held nor of the muses who accompanied him responding in turn with delicious voice but when the splendid light of the sun was sunk they retired to repose each one to his home where renowned vulcan lame of both legs with cunning skill had built a house for each but the olympian thunderer jove went to his couch where he lay before when sweet sleep came upon him there having ascended he lay down to rest, and beside him golden-throned Juno. End of Book the First Read by Stephen Carney Section 2 Book the Second of the Iliad of Homer This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney The Iliad of Homer by Homer Translated by Theodore Alois Buckley Section 2 Book the Second Argument Jove sends a dream to Agamemnon, in consequence of which he reassembles the army. Thersites is punished for his insolent speech, and the troops are restrained from seeking a return homewards. The catalogue of the ships and the forces of the confederates follows the rest then both gods and horse arraying men slept all the night but jove sweet sleep possessed not but he was pondering in his mind how he might honour achilles and destroy many at the ships of the greeks but this device appeared best to him in his mind to send a fatal dream to agamemnon the son of atreus and addressing him he spoke winged words Haste away, pernicious dream, to the swift ships of the Greeks. Going into the tent of Agamemnon, son of Atreus, utter very accurately everything as I shall command thee. Bid him arm the long-haired Achaeans with all their array, 
for now perhaps he may take the wide-wayed city of the trojans for the immortals who possess the olympian mansions no longer think dividedly for juno supplicating hath bent all to her will and woes are impending over the trojans thus he spake and the dream accordingly departed as soon as it heard the mandate and quickly it came to the swift ships of the greeks and went unto agamemnon the son of atreus but him it found sleeping in his tent and ambrosial slumber was diffused around and he stood over his head like unto nestor the son of neleus him to wit whom agamemnon honoured most of the old men to him assimilating himself the divine dream addressed him sleepest thou son of the warrior horse-taming atreus it becomes not a counsel-giving man to whom the people have been entrusted and to whom so many things are a care to sleep all night but now quickly attend to me for i am a messenger to thee from jove who although far distant greatly regards and pities thee he orders thee to arm the long-haired greeks with all their array for now mayest thou take the wide-wayed city of the trojans since the immortals who possess the olympian mansions no longer think dividedly for juno supplicating hath bent all to her will and woes from jove are impending over the trojans but do thou preserve this in thy recollection nor let forgetfulness possess thee when sweet sleep shall desert thee thus then having spoken he departed and left him there pondering these things in his mind which were not destined to be accomplished for he foolish thought that he would take the city of priam on that day nor knew he the deeds which jupiter was really devising for even he was about yet to impose additional hardships and sorrows upon both trojans and greeks through mighty conflicts but he awoke from his sleep and the heavenly voice was diffused around him he sat up erect and put on his soft tunic beautiful new and around him he threw his large cloak and he bound his beautiful sandals on his shining feet and slung from his shoulders a silver-studded sword he also took his paternal sceptre ever imperishable with which he went to the ships of the brazen-mailed greeks the goddess aurora now ascended wide olympus announcing the dawn to jove and the other immortals but he on his part ordered the clear-voiced heralds to summon the long-haired achaeans to an assembly they therefore summoned them and the people were very speedily assembled first the assembly of the magnanimous elders sat at the ship of nestor the pilous born king having called them together he propounded a prudent counsel hear me my friends a divine dream came to me in sleep during the ambrosial night very like unto the noble nestor in form in stature and in mien and it stood above my head and addressed me sleepest thou son of the warrior horse-taming atreus it becomes not a counsellor to whom the people have been entrusted and to whom so many things are a care to sleep all night but now quickly attend to me for i am a messenger to thee from jove who although far distant greatly regards and pities thee he orders thee to arm the long-haired greeks with all their array for now mayest thou take the wide-wayed city of the trojans for the immortals who possess the olympian mansions no longer think dividedly 
for Juno, supplicating, has bent all to her will, and woes from Job are impending over the Trojans. But do thou preserve this in thy thoughts. Thus having spoken, flying away it departed, but sweet leap resigned me. But come, let us try if by any means we can arm the sons of the Greeks. But first with words will I sound their inclinations, as is right, and I will command them to fly with their many benched ships. But do you restrain them with words, one in one place, another in another. He indeed, having thus spoken, sat down. But Nestor, who was king of the Sandy Pilus, rose up, who wisely counselling, harangued them, and said, O friends, generals and counsellors of the Argives, if any other of the Greeks had told this dream, we should have pronounced it a fabrication, and withdrawn ourselves from the reciter. But now he has seen it, who boasts himself to be by far the greatest man in the army. But come on, if by any means we can arm the sons of the Greeks. Thus then having spoken, he began to depart from the assembly. And they, the scepter-bearing princes, arose, and obeyed the shepherd of the tribes, and the hosts rushed forward. Even as the swarms of clustering bees issuing ever anew from the hollow rock go forth, and fly in troops over the vernal flowers, and some having flitted in bodies here and some there, thus of these Greeks many nations from the ship and tents kept marching in troops in front of the steep shore to the assembly, and in the midst of them blazed rumour, messenger of Jove, urging them to proceed, and they kept collecting together. The assembly was tumultuous, and the earth groaned beneath as the people seated themselves, and there was a clamour, but nine heralds vociferating restrained themselves, if by any means they would cease from clamour, and hear the Jove-nurtured princes. With difficulty at length the people sat down, and were kept to their respective seats, having desisted from their clamour. When King Agamemnon arose, holding the sceptre which Vulcan had laboriously wrought, Vulcan, in the first place, gave it to King Jove, the son of Saturn, and Jove, in turn, gave it to his messenger, the slayer of Argus. But King Mercury gave it to steed-taming Pelops, and Pelops again gave it to Atreus, shepherd of the people. But Atreus, dying, left it to Thyestes, rich in flocks. But Thyestes again left it to Agamemnon to be born, that he might rule over many islands, and all Argos. Leaning upon this, he spoke words amongst the Greeks. O friends, Grecian heroes, servants of Mars, Jove, the son of Saturn, has entangled me in a heavy misfortune. Cruel, who before indeed promised to me, and vouchsafed by his nod, that I should return home, having destroyed well-fortified Ilium. But now he has devised an evil deception, and commands me to return to Argos inglorious after I have lost many of my people. So forsooth it appears to be agreeable to all-powerful Jove, who has already overthrown the citadels of many cities, yea, and will even yet overthrow them, for transcendent is his power. For this were disgraceful even for posterity to hear, that so brave and so numerous a people of the Greeks warred an ineffectual war, and fought with fewer men. But as yet no end has appeared. For if we Greeks and Trojans, having struck a faithful league, wished that both should be numbered, and wished to select the Trojans, on the one hand, as many as our townsmen, and if we Greeks, on the other hand, were to be divided into decades, 
and to choose a single man of the Trojans to pour out wine for each decade, many decades would be without a cup-bearer. So much more numerous, I say, the sons of the Greeks are than the Trojans who dwell in the city, but there are spear-wielding auxiliaries from many cities who greatly stand in my way, and do not permit me wishing to destroy the well-inhabited city. Already have nine years of mighty Jove passed away, and now the timbers of our ships have rotted, and the ropes have become untwisted. Our wives and infant children sit in our dwellings, expecting us, but to us the work for which we came hither remains unaccomplished, contrary to expectation. But come, as I shall recommend, let us all obey, let us fly with the ships to our dear native land, for at no future time shall we take wide-wayed Troy. Thus he spoke, and to them he aroused the heart in their breasts, to all throughout the multitude, whoever had not heard his scheme, and the assembly was moved as the great waves of the Icarian Sea, which, indeed, both the south-east wind and the south are wont to raise, rushing from the clouds of Father Jove. And as when the west wind agitates the thick-standing corn, rushing down upon it impetuous, and it the crop bends with its ears, so was all the assembly agitated. Some, with shouting, rushed to the ships, but from beneath their feet the dust stood suspended aloft, and some exhorted one another to seize the vessels, and drag them to the great ocean, and they began to clear the channels. The shout of them, eager to return home, rose to the sky, and they withdrew the stays from beneath the vessels. Then truly a return had happened to the Argives, contrary to destiny, had not Juno addressed herself to Minerva. Alas, indomitable daughter of aegis-bearing Jove, thus now shall the Argives fly home to their dear native land, over the broad back of the deep, and leave to Priam glory, and to the Trojans' Argive Helen, on whose account many Greeks have perished at Troy, far from their dear native land. But go now to the people of the brazen-mailed Greeks, and restrain each man with thy own flattering words, nor suffer them to launch to the sea their evenly plied barks. Thus she spoke, nor did the azure-eyed goddess Minerva refuse compliance, but she, hastening, descended down from the summits of Olympus, and quickly reached the swift ships of the Achaeans. Then she found a Ulysses of equal weight with Jove and counsel, standing still, nor was he touching his well-benched sable bark, since regret affected him in his heart and mind. But standing near him, azure-eyed Minerva said, Jove-sprung son of Laertes, Ulysses of many wiles, thus then will ye fly home to your dear native land, embarking in your many benched ships? And will ye then leave to Priam glory, and to the Trojans Argive Helen, on whose accounts many Greek have fallen at Troy, far from their dear native land? But go now to the people of the Greeks, delay not, and restrain each man by thine own flattering words, nor suffer them to launch to the sea their evenly plied barks. Thus she spoke, but he knew the voice of the goddess speaking. Then he hastened to run, and cast away his cloak. But the herald Eurybates, the Ithacensian, who followed him, took it up. But he, meeting Agamemnon, son of Atreus, received from him the ever-imperishable paternal sceptre, with which he went through the ships of the brazen-mailed Greeks. Whatsoever king, indeed, or distinguished man he chanced to find standing beside him, he checked him with gentle words. Strange man! It ill becomes thee, coward-like, to be in trepidation. 
but both sit down myself and make the other people sit down for thou hast not as yet clearly ascertained what the intention of atreides is he is now making trial of and will quickly punish the sons of the greeks we have not all heard what he said in council take care lest he being incensed do some mischief to the sons of the greeks for the anger of a jove nurtured king is great his honour too is from jove and great counselling jove loves him but on the other hand whatever man of the common people he chanced to see or find shouting out him would he strike with the sceptre and reprove with words fellow sit quietly and listen to the voice of others who are better than thou for thou art unwarlike and weak nor ever of any account either in war or in council we greeks cannot all by any means govern here for a government of many is not a good thing let there be but one chief one king to whom the son of wily saturn has given a sceptre and laws that he may govern among them thus he acting as chief was arranging the army but they again rushed with tumult from the ships and tents to an assembly as when the waves of the much resounding sea roar against the lofty beach and the deep resounds the others indeed sat down and were kept to their respective seats but thersites alone immediate in words was wrangling who to wit knew in his mind expressions both unseemly and numerous so as idly and not according to discipline to wrangle with the princes but to blurt out whatever seemed to him to be matter of laughter to the greeks and he was the ugliest man who came to ilium he was bandy-legged and lame of one foot his shoulders were crooked and contracted towards his breast and his head was peaked towards the top and thin woolly hair was scattered over it to achilles and ulysses he was particularly hostile for these two he used to revile but on this occasion shouting out shrilly he uttered bitter taunts against noble agamemnon but the greeks were greatly irritated against him and were indignant in their minds but vociferating aloud he reviled agamemnon with words son of atreus of what dost thou now complain or what dost thou want thy tents are full of brass and many chosen women are in thy tents whom we greeks bestow on thee the first of all whenever we capture a city dost thou still require gold which some one of the horse-taming trojans shall bring from troy as a ransom for his son whom i or some other of the greeks having bound may lead away or a young maid that thou mayest be mingled in dalliance and whom thou for thyself mayest retain apart from the rest indeed it becomes not a man who is chief in command to lead the sons of the greeks into evil o ye soft ones vile disgraces grecian dames no longer grecian men let us return home home with our ships and let us leave him here to digest his honours at troy that he may know whether we really aid him in anything or not he who but just now has dishonoured achilles a man much more valiant than himself for taking away he retains his prize he himself having seized it but assuredly there is not much anger in the heart of achilles but he is forbearing for truly were it not so o son of atreus thou wouldst have insulted now for the last time thus spoke their cities reviling agamemnon the shepherd of the people but godlike ulysses immediately stood beside him and eyeing him with scowling brow reproached him with harsh language 
Thersites, reckless babbler, noising declaimer thou though be, refrain, nor be forward singly to strive with princes. For I affirm that there is not another mortal more base than thou, as many as came with the son of Atreus to Ilium. Wherefore do not harangue, having kings in thy mouth, nor cast reproaches against them, nor be on the watch for a return. Not as yet indeed do we certainly know how these matters will turn out, whether we sons of the Greeks shall return to our advantage or disadvantage. Wherefore, now thou sittest reviling Agamemnon, son of Atreus, the leader of the people, because the Grecian heroes give him very many gifts, whilst thou, insulting, dost harangue. But I declare to thee, which shall also be accomplished, if ever again I catch thee raving as now thou art, no longer may the head of Ulysses rest upon his shoulders, and no longer may I be called the father of Telemachus, unless I, seizing thee, divest thee of thy very garments, thy coat, thy cloak, and those which cover thy loins, and send thyself weeping to the swift ships, having beaten thee out of the assembly with severe blows. Thus he spoke, and smote him with a sceptre upon the back and the shoulders, but he writhed, and plenteous tears fell from him, and a bloody wheel arose under the sceptre upon his back, but he sat down and trembled, and grieving, Looking foolish, he wiped away the tears. They, although chagrined, laughed heartily at him, and thus one would say, looking towards the person next to him, O oh, strange! Surely ten thousand good things has Ulysses already performed, both originating good counsellors and arousing the war. But now has he done this by far the best deed among the Greeks, in that he has restrained this foul-mouthed reviler from his harangues. Surely his petulant mind will not again urge him to chide the kings with scurrilous language. Thus spake the multitude. But Ulysses, the sacker of cities, arose, holding the sceptre, and beside him azure-eyed Minerva, likened unto a herald, ordered the people to be silent, that at the same time the sons of the Greeks, both first and last, might hear his speech, and weigh his counsel. He, wisely counselling, addressed them, and said, o son of atreus the greeks wish to render thee now o king the meanest among articulately speaking men nor perform their promise to thee a hundred which they held forth coming hither from steed nourishing argos that thou shouldest return home having destroyed well fortified ilium for like tender boys or widowed men they bewail unto one another to return home and truly it is a hardship to return so having been grieved for he is impatient who is absent even for a single month from his wife, remaining with his many-benched ship, though wintry storms and the boisterous sea may be hemming in, but to us it is now the ninth revolving year since we have been lingering here. Wherefore I am not indignant that the Greeks are growing impatient by their curved ships, but still it would be disgraceful both to remain here so long, and to return ineffectually. Endure, my friends, and remain yet a while, that we may know whether Calchas prophesies truly or not. For this we well know, and ye are all witnesses, whom the fates of death carried not off yesterday and the day before, when the ships of the Greeks were collected at Aulis, bearing evils to Priam and the Trojans, and we round the fountain at the sacred altars offered perfect hecatombs to the immortals beneath a beauteous plane-tree whence flowed limpid water 
there a great prodigy appeared a serpent spotted on the back horrible which the olympian himself had sent forth into the light having glided out from beneath the altar proceeded forthwith to the plane-tree and there were the young of a sparrow on a topmost branch cowering amongst the foliage eight in number but the mother which had brought forth the young ones was the ninth thereupon he devoured them twittering piteously while the mother kept fluttering about lamenting her dear young but then having turned himself about he seized her by the wing screaming around but after he had devoured the young of the sparrow and herself the god who had displayed him rendered him very portentous for the son of wily saturn changed him into a stone but we standing by were astonished at what happened thus therefore the dreadful portents of the gods approached the hecatombs calchas then immediately addressed us revealing from the gods why are ye become silent ye waving crested greeks for us indeed providence jove has shown a great sign of late accomplishment the renown of which shall never perish as this serpent has devoured the young of the sparrow eight in number and herself the mother which brought out the brood was the ninth so must we for as many years wage war here but in the tenth we shall take the wide wayed city he indeed thus harangued and all these things are now in course of accomplishment but come ye well-grieved greeks remain all here until we shall take the great city of priam thus he ulysses spoke and the greeks loudly shouted applauding the speech of divine ulysses but all around the ships echoed fearfully by reason of the greeks shouting then the gerenian knight nestor addressed them o strange assuredly now ye are talking like infant children with whom warlike achievements are of no account whither then will your compacts and oaths depart into the fire now must the counsels and thoughts of men have sunk and the unmixed libations and the right hands in which we trusted for in vain do we dispute with words nor can we discover any resource although we have been here a long time but do thou o son of atreus maintaining as before thy purpose firm command the greeks in the hard-fought conflicts and abandon those to perish one and both who separated from the greeks are meditating but success shall not attend them to return back to argos before they know whether the promise of aegis-bearing jove be false or not for i say that the powerful son of saturn assented on that day when the argives embarked in their swift ships bearing death and fate to the trojans flashing his lightning on the right and showing propitious signs let not any one therefore hasten to return home before each has slept with a trojan wife and has avenged the cares and griefs of helen but if any one is extravagantly eager to return home let him lay hands upon his well-benched black ship that he may draw on death and fate before others but do thou thyself deliberate well o king and attend to another nor shall the advice which i am about to utter be discarded separate the troops agamemnon according to their tribes and clans that kindred may support kindred and clan if thou wilt thus act and the greeks obey thou wilt then ascertain which of the generals and which of the soldiers is a dastard and which of them may be brave 
for they will fight their best and thou wilt likewise learn whether it is by the divine interposition that thou art destined not to dismantle the city or by the cowardice of the troops and their unskilfulness in war but him answering king agamemnon addressed old man now indeed as at other times dost thou excel the sons of the greeks in council for would o father jove minerva and apollo that i were possessed of ten such fellow counsellors among the greeks so should the city of priam quickly fall captured and destroyed by our hands but upon me hath aegis-bearing jove the son of saturn sent sorrow who casts me into unavailing strifes and contentions for i and achilles have quarrelled on account of a maid with opposing words but i began quarrelling but if ever we shall consult in common no longer then shall there be a respite from evil to the trojans no not for ever so short a time now go to your repast that we may join the battle but let each one well sharpen his spear and well prepare his shield let him give fodder to his swift-footed steeds and let each one looking well to his chariot get ready for war that we may contend all day in the dreadful battle nor shall there be a cessation not for ever so short a while until night coming on shall part the wrath of the heroes the belt of the man protecting shield shall be moist with sweat around the breasts of each one and he shall weary his hand round his spear and each one's horse shall sweat dragging the well-polished chariot but whomsoever i shall perceive desirous to remain at the beaked ships apart from the battle it will not be possible for him afterwards to escape the dogs and the birds thus he spoke but the argives shouted aloud as when a wave roars against the steep shore when the south wind urges it coming against an outjutting rock for this the billows from all kinds of winds never forsake when they may be here or there and rising up the people hastened forth scattered from ship to ship and raised up smoke among the tents and took repast and one sacrificed to some one of the immortal gods and another to another praying to escape death and the slaughter of war but king agamemnon offered up a fat ox of five years old to the powerful son of saturn and summoned the elder chiefs of all the greeks nestor first of all and king Idomeneus, but next the two ajaxes and the son of tydeus and sixth ulysses of equal weight with jove in council but menelaus valiant in the din of war came of his own accord for he knew his brother in his heart how he was oppressed then they stood around the ox and raised up the pounded barley cakes and king agamemnon praying amidst them said o joys most glorious most great dark cloud collector dwelling in the air may not the sun set nor darkness come on before i have laid prostrate priam's hall blazing and consumed its gates with the hostile fire and cut away hector's coat of mail around his breast split asunder with the brass and around him may many comrades prone in the dust seize the earth with their teeth thus he spoke nor as yet did the son of saturn assent but he accepted the offering and increased abundant toil but after they had prayed and thrown forward the bruised barley they first drew back the neck of the victim slew it and flayed it 
then cut out the thighs and covered them in the fat having arranged it in a double fold and then laid the raw flesh upon them and they roasted them upon leafless billets next having pierced the entrails with spits they held them over the fire but then after the thighs were roasted and they had tasted the entrails they cut the rest of them into small pieces and fixed them on the spits and roasted them skilfully and drew them all off the spits but when they had ceased from labor and had prepared the banquet they feasted nor did their soul in any wise lack a due allowance of the feast but when they had dismissed the desire of drink and food them the gerenian knight nestor began to address most glorious son of atreus agamemnon king of men let us now no longer sit prating here nor let us long defer the work which the deity now delivers into our hands but come let the heralds of the brazen-mailed greeks summoning the people assemble them at the ships and let us thus in a body pass through the wide army of the greeks that we may the sooner awaken keen warfare thus he spoke nor did agamemnon king of men refuse compliance immediately he ordered the clear-voiced heralds to summon the waving crested greeks to battle these then gave the summons and they were hastily assembled and the jove-nurtured kings who were with the son of atreus kept hurrying about arranging them but amongst them was azure-eyed minerva holding the inestimable aegis which grows not old and is immortal from which one hundred golden fringes were suspended all well woven and each worth a hundred oxen in price with this she looking fiercely about traversed the host of the greeks inciting them to advance and kindled strength in the breast of each to fight and contend unceasingly thus war became instantly sweeter to them than the return in the hollow ships to their dear native land as when a destructive fire consumes an immense forest upon the tops of a mountain and the gleam is seen from afar so as they advanced the radiance from the beaming brass glittering on all sides reached heaven through the air and of these like as the numerous nations of winged fowl of geese or cranes or long-necked swans on the asian mead by the waters of caister fly on this side and on that disporting with their wings alighting beside each other clamorously and the meadow resounds so the numerous nation of these the greeks from the ships and tents poured themselves forth into the plain of scamander countless as the flowers and leaves are produced in spring as the numerous swarms of clustering flies which congregate round the shepherd's pen in the spring season when too the milk overflows the pails so numerous stood the head-crested greeks upon the plain against the trojans eager to break their lines and these as goat-herds easily separate the broad flocks of the goats when they are mingled in the pasture so did the generals here and there marshal them to go to battle and among them commander agamemnon resembling as to his eyes and head the thunder delighting jove as to his middle mars and as to his breast neptune as a bull in the herd is greatly eminent above all for he surpasses the collected cattle such on that day did jove render agamemnon distinguished amongst many and conspicuous amongst heroes tell me now ye muses who possess the olympian mansions for ye are goddesses and are ever present and ken all things whilst we hear but a rumour nor know anything 
who were the leaders and chiefs of the greeks for i could not recount nor tell the multitude not even if ten tongues and ten mouths were mine not though a voice unwearied and a brazen heart were within me unless the olympic muses daughters of aegis-bearing jove reminded me of how many came to ilium however i will rehearse the commanders of the ships and all the ships the catalogue of the ships peneleus and Lytus and arcesilaus and prothaenor and clonius commanded the baeotians both those who tilled hyri and rocky aulis and shurnus and sholos and hilly Eteonus, thespia grea and the ample plain of mycalesis and those who dwell about harma and elesius and erythera and those who possessed elion hyli pateon ocalea and the well-built city medion copaea utresis and thisbe abounding in doves and those who possessed coronea and grassy hilertus and plataea and those who inhabited glissa and those who dwelt in hypothabia the well-built city and in sacred onchestus the beauteous grove of neptune and those who inhabited grape-clustered arna and those who inhabited medea and divine nyssa and remote anthedon fifty ships of these went to troy and in each embarked a hundred and twenty boeotian youths those who inhabited Asplodon and the Menaean or Commonus, these Ascalaphus and Eelmenus, the sons of Mars, led, whom Astyoche bore to powerful Mars in the house of Actor, son of Asis, a modest virgin, when she ascended the upper part of her father's house. But the god secretly embraced her. Of these thirty hollow ships went in order. Moreover, Scedius and Epistrophus, sons of Magnanimous Iphitus, the son of Nobulus led the Phocaeans, who possessed Cyparissus and rocky Python, and divine Chrysa and Daulus and Panopeia, and those who dwelt around Anemoria and Hyampolis, and near the sacred river Cephasus, and those who possessed Lilea at the sources of Cephasus. With these forty dark ships followed. They indeed, going round, arranged the lines of the Phocaeans and they were drawn up in array near the boeotians and towards the left wing swift-footed ajax the son of oileus was leader of the locrians less in stature than and not so tall as ajax the son of telamon but much less he was small indeed wearing a linen corslet but in the use of the spear he surpassed all the hellenes and achaeans who inhabited sidus opus Celiaris, bessa scarpha and the pleasant ogia and tarpha and thronium around the streams of boagrius but with him forty dark ships of the locrians followed who dwell beyond sacred euboea the abantes breathing strength who possessed euboea and chalcis and eretria and grape-clustered hysteia and maritime serenthus and the towering city of dium and those who inhabited charistus and styra the leader of these was elephanor of the line of mars the son of chalcodon the magnanimous prince of the abantes with him the swift abantes followed with flowing locks behind warriors skilled with pretended spears of ash to break the corslets on the breasts of their enemies with him forty dark ships followed those besides who possessed athens the well-built city the state of the magnanimous erechtheus 
whom Minerva, the daughter of Jove, formerly nursed, but him the bounteous earth brought forth, and settled at Athens in her own rich temple. There the sons of the Athenians in revolving years appease her with sacrifices of bulls and lambs. Them Menestheus, son of Peteus, commanded. No man upon the earth was equal to him in marshalling steeds, and shielded warriors in battle. Nestor alone abide with him, for he was elder. With him fifty dark ships followed. But Ajax led twelve ships from Salamis, and leading, arranged them where the phalanxes of the Athenians were drawn up. Those who possessed Argos and well-fortified Tyrans, Hermione, and which encircled the Assine deep bay, Troezene, and Aeonia, and vine-planted Epidaurus, and those who possessed Aegina and Macy's Achaean youths. Their leader was then Diomede, brave in war, and Sathenelus, the dear son of much-renowned Capaneus, and with these went Eurylus the third, godlike man, the son of Mesistius, Talaus's son, and all these Diomede brave in war commanded. With these eighty dark ships followed. Those who possessed Mycenae, the well-built city, and the wealthy Corinth, and well-built Cleonea, and those who inhabited Ornea, and pleasant Ereithria, and Sicyon, where Adrastus first reigned, and those who possessed Hyperesia, and lofty Gonoessa, and Pelene, and those who inhabited Aegeum, and all along the sea-coast and about spacious Helice. Of these King Agamemnon, the son of Atreus, commanded a hundred ships, and with him by far the most and bravest troops followed. And he had clothed himself in dazzling brass, exulting in his glory, that he shone conspicuous amongst all heroes, for he was the most eminent, and led by far the most numerous troops. But those who possessed great Lacedaemon, full of clefts and Pharis and Sparta and Dove-abounding Messa and Brisea and pleasant Ogeia, and those who possessed Amicleia and Helos, a maritime city, and those who possessed Laz, and dwelt around Oetilus, of these his brother Menelaus, brave in battle, commanded sixty ships, but they were armed apart from Agamemnon's forces. Amidst them he himself went, confiding in his valour, inciting them to war, but especially he desired in his soul to avenge the remorse of Helen and her groans. Those who inhabited Pylos and pleasant Arene and Thryos, by the fords of Avoius, and well-built Ape, and Cyperesius, and Amphigenia, and Plataeum, and Helos, and Dorium, and there it was the Muses, meeting the Thracian Thamyrus, as he was coming from the Oikolean Eurytus, caused him to cease his song, for he averred, boasting, that he could obtain the victory, even though the Muses themselves, the daughters of Aegis-bearing Jove, should sing. But they, enraged, made him blind, and moreover deprived him of his power of singing, and caused him to forget the minstrel art. These the Gerenian horsemen Nestor commanded, and with him ninety hollow ships proceeded in order. Those who possessed Arcadia, under the breezy mountain of Selene, near the tomb of Apitus, 
where are close-fighting heroes, those who inhabited Phineus, and sheep-abounding Orchomenus, and Strati, and wind-swept Enispe, and who possessed Tegea, and pleasant Mantinea, and those who held Stamphalus, and dwelt in Parhasi. Of these, King Agapenor, the son of Ancaeus, commanded sixty ships, but aboard each ship went many Arcadian heroes skilled in war. But the son of Atreus, Agamemnon himself, the king of heroes, gave them the well-benched ships to pass over the dark sea, since they had no care of naval works. Those who inhabited Uprasium and noble Elis, as much as Hermony and distant Mercinus, and the Olenian rock and Elysium contain within, of these the leaders were four, but ten swift ships followed each hero, and many Epeans went aboard them. Amphimachus and Thalpius, sons, the one of Cetatus and the other of Eurytus, actor's son, commanded some. Brave Diorus, son of Emerinesius, commanded others, and godlike Polyxenus, son of Agasthenes, the son of Augeas, commanded the fourth division. Those from Dulichium and the Echinades, sacred islands which lie beyond the sea, facing Elis. Over these presided Magus, son of Phileus, equal to Mars, whom the knight Phileus, beloved by Jove, begat, who, enraged against his father, once on a time removed to Dulichium. With him forty dark ships followed. Moreover, Ulysses led the magnanimous Cephalanians, those who possessed Ithaca and leaf-quivering Neritos, and who dwelt in Croclea and rugged Agilips, and those who possessed Zacynthus, and those who inhabited Samos, and those who possessed the continent and dwelt in the places lying opposite, these Ulysses commanded, equal to Jove in council, with him followed twelve red-sided ships. Thoas, son of Andreamon, led the Aetolians, those who inhabited Pleuron, and Olenus, and Pylene, and maritime Chalcis, and rocky Caledon, for the sons of magnanimous Oenus were no more, nor was he himself surviving. Moreover, fair-haired Melager was dead. To him Thoas, therefore, was entrusted the chief command to rule the Aetolians, and with him forty dark ships followed. Spear-renowned Idomeneus commanded the Cretans, those who possessed Gnosis, and well-walled Gortina, and Lyctos, and Miletus, and white Lycastus, and Phaestus, and Rutium, well-inhabited cities, and others who inhabited the hundred-towned Crete, these spear-famed Idomeneus commanded, and Marianus, equal to manslaying Mars, with these followed eighty dark ships. But Telepolemus, the brave and great descendant of Hercules, led from Rhodes nine ships of the haughty Rhodians, those who inhabited Rhodes, arranged in three bands, Lindus and Iolysus and white Camerus. These spear-famed Telepolis led, he whom Astyochia brought forth to the might of Hercules, whom Astyochia, he, Hercules, carried out of Ephri. From the river Celeus, after having laid waste many cities of nobly descended youths, now Telepolemus, after he had been trained up in the well-built palaces, straightway slew the beloved uncle of his father, Lysimnius, now grown old, a branch of Mars, and instantly 
he built a fleet and having collected many troops he departed flying over the ocean for him the sons and grandsons of the might of hercules had threatened and he indeed came wandering to Rhodes, suffering woes and they divided into three parts dwelt in tribes and were beloved of jove who rules over gods and men and on them the son of saturn poured down immense wealth nireus moreover led three equal ships from syme nireus son of aglaea and king charopus nireus the fairest of men that came to ilium of all the other greeks next to the unblemished son of peleus but he was feeble and few troops followed him but those who possessed nicerus and crapathus and cassus and cos the city of eurypolis and the calidne isles phidippus and antiphus both sons of the thessalian king the sons of hercules commanded thirty hollow ships of these went in order but now o muse recount those as many as inhabited pelasgian argos both those who dwelt in alos and alope and trechin and those who possessed phthia and hellas famous for fair dames but they are called myrmidons and hellenes and achaeans of fifty ships of these was achilles chief but they remembered not dire sounding war for there was no one who might lead them to their ranks for swift-footed achilles lay at the ships enraged on account of the fair-haired maids briseis whom he carried away from lyrnessus after having suffered many labours and having laid waste lyrnessus and the walls of thebes and he killed minetes and spear-killed epistrophus sons of king evanus the son of selepius on her account he lay grieving but speedily was he about to be roused those who possessed phlysa and flowery pyrhasus the consecrated ground of cirrus and eton the mother of sheep maritime antron and grassi ptelon these warlike protesilaus whilst he lived commanded but him the black earth then possessed his wife lacerated all around had been left at phlysi and his palace half finished for a trojan man slew him as he leapt ashore from his ship much the first of the greeks nor were they however without a leader although they longed for their own leader for gallant podarces marshalled them podarces son of sheep abounding iphiclus the son of philasus own brother of magnanimous protesilaus younger by birth but the warlike hero protesilaus was older and braver his troops wanted not a leader but lamented him being brave with him forty dark ships followed those who inhabited phaer by the lake boebis boebi and glephrea and well-built iolcus these eumelus the beloved son of admetus commanded in eleven ships whom alcestis divine amongst women most beautiful in form of the daughters of peleus brought forth by admetus those who inhabited methoni and thaumacia and possessed meliboea and rugged olizon these philoctetes well skilled in archery commanded in seven ships fifty sailors well skilled in archery went on board each to fight valiantly but he lay in an island enduring bitter pangs in divine lemnos 
where the sons of the greeks had left him suffering with the evil sting of a deadly serpent there he lay grieving but soon were the argives at the ships destined to remember their king philoctetes nor were they however without a leader though they longed for their own leader but medon the bastard son of oileus whom Rhina brought forth by city-wasting oileus marshalled them those who possessed Thrica and Hili Ithomi, and those who possessed Oikileia, the city of the Oikileian Eurytus, Podalarius and Machaon, two excellent physicians, both sons of Esculapius, led these. With them thirty hollow ships went in order. Those who possessed Ormanium and the fountain Hyperia, and those who possessed Asterium and the white tops of Titanus, these Eurypylus, the brave son of Avaemon commanded, with him forty dark ships followed. Those who possessed Argissa and inhabited Gertone and Orthe and Elone and the white city Olusan, these the stout warrior Polypoetus, son of Perithus, whom immortal Jove begat, commanded, him renowned Hippodamia brought forth by Perithus on the day when he took vengeance on the shaggy centaurs and drove them from Mount Pelion, and chased them to the Ithacians. He was not the only leader. With him commanded warlike Leontius, son of Magnanimous Coronus, the son of Coenius. With these forty dark ships followed. But Gyneus led two and twenty ships from Cyprus. Him the Aeneanus followed, and the Parebi, stout warriors, who placed their habitations by chilly Dodona, and those who tilled the fields about delightful Titericius, which pours its fair flowing stream into the Peneus, nor is it mingled with silver-eddied Peneus, but flows on the surface of it like oil. For it is a streamlet of the Stygian wave, the dreadful pledge of oath. Prothous, son of Tenthredon, commanded the Magnetes, who dwell about the Peneus and leaf-quivering Pelion. These, swift Prothous led, and with him forty dark ships followed. These then were the leaders and chieftains of the Greeks. Do thou then, O Muse, tell me who was the most excellent of these, of the kings and their steeds, who followed the son of Atreus to Troy? The steeds of the descendant of Ferris were indeed by far the most excellent, which Emulus drove, swift as birds, like in hair, like in age, and level in height of back by the plumb-line. These bearing with them the terror of mars both mares silver-boat apollo fed in pieria of the heroes telamonian ajax was by far the best whilst achilles continued wrathful for he was by far the bravest and the steeds which bore the irreproachable son of peleus surpassed those of emulus but he on his part lay in his dark sea traversing ships breathing wrath against the son of atreus agamemnon the shepherd of the people but his forces meantime amused themselves with quoits and javelins, hurling them and with their bows, and their steeds stood, each near his chariot, feeding on lotus and lake-fed parsley, and the well-fastened chariots lay in the tents of their lords, but they, longing for their warlike chief, wandered hither and thither through the camp, and did not fight. But they went along as if the whole earth was being fed upon by fire, and the earth groaned beneath as in honour of thunder rejoicing jove when angry when he strikes the earth around typhoeus and eremea 
where they say is the tomb of typhoeus thus indeed beneath their feet the earth groaned mightily as they went and very swift they passed over the plain but swift-footed iris came from aegis-bearing jove a messenger to the trojans with a woeful announcement they all collected together both young and old were holding councils at the gates of priam but swift-footed iris standing near accosted them and she likened herself in voice to polites son of priam who trusting to the swiftness of his feet sat at watch for the trojans on the top of the tomb of old isaetus watching when the greeks should set forth from the ships to him having likened herself swift-footed iris addressed them old man ever are injudicious words pleasing to thee as formerly in time of peace but now has an inevitable war arisen truly i have already very often been present at the conflicts of heroes but never have i beheld such brave and numerous forces for very like unto the leaves or the sand proceed they through the plain about to fight for the city hector for it is to thee in particular i give advice and do thou act thus for many are the allies through the great city of priam and different are the languages of the widely spread men let then each hero command those of whom he is the chief but do thou marshalling the citizens be leader of them thus she said but hector was not ignorant of the voice of the goddess and he instantly dismissed the council and they rushed to arms and the portals were opened and the troops rushed out both foot and horse and much tumult arose now there is a certain lofty mound before the city far in the plain that may be run round which men indeed call batia but the immortals the tomb of nimbly springing marina there the trojans and their allies were then marshalled separately the trojans in the first place great helmet nodding hector son of priam commanded with him far the most numerous and the bravest troops were armed ardent with their spears the dardanians in the next place aenus the gallant son of anchises commanded him to the anchises the divine goddess venus bore couched with him a mortal on the tops of ida not alone but with him the two sons of antenor archilochus and achamus skilled in every kind of fight but the trojans who inhabited zelea beneath the lowest foot of ida wealthy and drinking the dark water of asipus these pandarus the valiant son of lycaon commanded to whom even apollo himself gave his bow those who possessed andrestai and the city of apestus and possessed pitia and the lofty mountain tircia these andrastus and linen-mailed amphius commanded the two sons of Percosian merops who was skilled in prophecy above all others nor was he willing to suffer his sons to go into the man-destroying fight but they did not obey him for the fates of sable death impelled them those who dwelt around percoti and Procteus, and possessed cestus and abidus and divine arisbe these asius son of hyrtacus prince of heroes commanded asius son of hyrtacus whom large and fiery steeds bore from arisbe from the river Silaeus. hippothous led the tribes of the spear-skilled pelasgians of those who inhabited fertile larissa hippothous and peleus of the line of mars the two sons of pelasgian lethus son of teutamus commanded these but acamas and the hero peros led the thracians all that the rapidly flowing hellespont confines within ephemus son of the heaven-descended trozenus son of seas 
was commander of the warlike Sassones, but Pyrechmes led the Paeonians, who used darts fastened by a thong, far from Amadon, from wide-flowing Axius, from Axius, whose stream is diffused the fairest over the earth. But the sturdy heart of Palaemonese from the Aneti, whence is the race of wild mules, led the Paphlagonians, those who possessed Cytorus, and dwelt around Sesimus, and inhabited the famous dwellings around the river Parthenius, and Cromna, Aegialus, and the lofty Erythini hills. But Hodius and Epistropus, far from Alibi, whence is a rich product of silver, commanded the Helizonians. Chromus and the Augur Enomus commanded the Mycenaeans, but he avoided not sable death through his skill in augury, for he was laid low by the hands of Achilles in the river, where he made havoc of the other Trojans also. Phorcys and godlike Ascanius, far from the Ascania, led the Phrygians, and they eagerly desired to engage in battle. But Mesthiles and Antiphus led the Maeonians, both sons of Telemenaeus, whom the lake Gygea bore. These led the Maeonians, born beneath Mount Timolus. Nastes commanded the barbarous-voiced Carians, who possessed Miletus, and the leaf-topped mountain of Perthiri, and the streams of Meander, and the lofty tops of Mycali. These, indeed, Amphimachus and Nastes commanded. Nastes and Mamphimachus, the famous sons of Nomion, who foolish, went to battle decked with gold like a young girl, nor did this by any means ward off bitter death. But he was laid low by the hands of the swift-footed son of Achus at the river, and warlike Achilles took away the gold. But Sarpedon and gallant Glaucus from Lycia afar, from the eddying Xanthus, led the Lycians. End of Book the Second Read by Stephen Carney Section 3, Book the Third of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer. Translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 3, Book the Third. Argument. Just as the armies are on the point of engaging, Paris proposes a single combat but on Menelaus advancing, retires in affright. Being rebuked by Hector, he consents to engage Menelaus, and a treaty is arranged. Paris is vanquished, but is brought back safe to Ilium by Venus, who appeases the anger of Helen. Menelaus, as conqueror, calls upon the Trojans to fulfill the conditions of the challenge. But after they had each been marshalled along with their leaders, the Trojans, on the one hand, moved along with both clamour and battle-shout, like birds, just as is the noise of cranes forth under heaven, which, after they have escaped the winter and immeasurable shower, with a clamour do these wing their way towards the streams of the ocean, bearing slaughter and fate to the Pygmaean men. And they then, at early dawn, bring fatal strife. But the Greeks, on the other hand, breathing might, advanced in silence, anxious in mind to aid one another. As when the south wind sheds a mist over the top of a mountain, by no means friendly to the shepherds, but more serviceable even than night to the robber, and one can see only so far as he hurls a stone, so under the feet of them proceeding an eddying dust kept rising, and very speedily they traversed the plain. But when they now were near, approaching each other, 
godlike alexander advanced in front of the trojans having a panther's skin on his shoulders and his crooked bow and a sword but he brandishing two spears tipped with brass challenged all the bravest of the greeks to fight against him in grievous conflict but when mars beloved menelaus perceived him advancing before the host taking long strides as a hungering lion exults when happening on a carcass of large size having found either a horned stag or a wild goat for he greedily devours it although swift hounds and vigorous youths pursue him thus menelaus rejoiced having beheld with his eyes god-like alexander for he thought he would be revenged upon the guilty wretch forthwith therefore with his arms he leaped from his chariot to the earth but when therefore godlike alexander perceived him appearing among the foremost warriors he was smitten in his heart and gave way back into the band of his companions avoiding death and as when any one having seen a serpent in the thickets of a mountain has started back and a tremor has seized his limbs under him and he has retired backwards and paleness seizes his cheeks thus godlike alexander shrank back into the band of the haughty trojans dreading the son of atreus but hector having seen him upbraided him with opprobrious words cursed paris most excellent in form thou woman raving seducer would that thou hadst either not been born or that thou hadst perished unmarried this indeed i would wish and indeed it would be much better than that thou shouldst thus be a disgrace and scandal to others in truth the long-haired achaeans may laugh having suspected that thou wast a noble champion because a fine person belongs to thee but there is not strength in thy soul nor any nerve this thou being such a one having sailed over the ocean in sea traversing ships having collected congenial associates and mingled with foreigners take away a beauteous lady from the appian land the spouse of martial men a great detriment to thy father to the city and to all the people a joy indeed to our enemies but a disgrace to thyself couldst thou not have awaited warlike menelaus then shouldst thou have known of how brave a man thou dost possess a blooming spouse nor will thy harp and the gifts of venus and thy hair and thy figure avail thee when thou shalt be mingled with the dust but the trojans are very pusillanimous else wouldst thou have been arrayed in a garment of stone on account of the evils which thou hast done him then godlike alexander in turn addressed hector since thou hast reproached me justly and not unjustly i will submit ever is thy spirit unwearied like an axe which penetrates the wood driven by the man who with art cuts out the navel plank and it increases the force of the man so in thy breast is there an intrepid heart reproach me not with the lovely gifts of golden venus the distinguished gifts of the gods are by no means to be rejected whatever indeed they give for no one can choose them at his own pleasure now however if thou desirest me to wage war and to fight cause the other trojans and all the greeks to sit down but match me and mars beloved menelaus to contend in the midst for helen and all the treasures and whichever of us shall conquer and shall be superior having received all the treasures without reserve and the woman let him conduct them home but let the rest of you striking a friendship and faithful league inhabit fertile troy and let them return to the steed-nourishing argus and fair-damed achaia thus he spoke but hector on the other hand rejoiced greatly 
having heard his speech, and having advanced into the centre, holding his spear by the middle, he restrained the phalanxes of the Trojans, and they all sat down. Against him the waving-haired Achaeans were directing their bows, and taking him, were going to hurl with shafts and with stones. But Agamemnon, he, the king of men, exclaimed aloud, Withhold, Argives, cast not, ye sons of the Aenians, for helm-nodding Hector stands as if intending to propose something. Thus he spoke, but they abstained from battle, and instantly became silent. But Hector, between both armies, spoke thus, Hear from me, ye Trojans, and well-grieved Greeks, the proposal of Alexander, on whose account this strife has arisen. He advises that the other Trojans and all the Greeks should lay down their beauteous arms upon the bounteous earth, but that he and Mars-beloved Menelaus alone should fight in the midst for Helen, and all the treasures, and whichever shall conquer, and shall be superior, having received all the treasures without reserve, and the woman, let him conduct them home, but let the rest of us strike a friendship and faithful league. Thus he said, and all became mute in silence, but amidst them Menelaus, valiant in the den of war, thus spoke, Now hear me also, for anguish has invaded my soul most, but I propose that the Greeks and Trojans should now be separated, since ye have suffered many evils on account of my quarrel, and the beginning of this strife through Alexander. And to whichever of us death and fate has been ordained, let him die. But do the rest of you be very speedily separated, and bring lambs, one white, the other black, to the earth and to the sun, and we will bring another to Jove. Moreover ye shall bring the might of Priam, that he may strike the league himself, for his sons are overbearing and faithless, lest any one, by transgression, violate the covenant of Jove. For the minds of younger men are ever fluctuating, but for those among whom a senior is present, he looks at the same time both backward and forward, in order that the best results may accrue to both parties. Thus he spoke, but both Greeks and Trojans rejoiced, hoping to have respite from grievous war and they accordingly reined back their horses to the ranks of the foot, but dismounted themselves, and put off their arms, and laid them down on the ground near each other, and around each pile of arms there was a little space. But Hector dispatched two heralds to the city with speed, to bring the lambs, and to call Priam, while on the other hand King Agamemnon sent Talthybius to go to the hollow ships, and order him to bring a lamb, and he did not disobey noble Agamemnon. And meantime came Iris, a messenger to white-armed Helen, likening herself to her husband's sister, the wife of Antenor's son, most excelling in beauty of the daughters of Priam, Leodice, whom the son of Antenor, King Helechaeon, possessed. But she found her in her palace, and she was weaving an ample web, a double mantle, resplendent, and on it was working many labours both of the horse-taming Trojans and the brazen-mailed Greeks which on her account they suffered at the hands of Mars. Standing near, the swift-footed Iris accosted her thus, Come hither, dear lady, that thou mayst view the wondrous deeds of the horse-taming Trojans, and of the brazen-mailed Greeks, who formerly against each other waged tearful war in the plain, eager for destructive battle. Now, however, they sit in silence, and the war has ceased, leaning on their shields, and near them their long spears are fixed but Alexander and Mars-beloved Menelaus are about to fight for thy sake with their long spears, and thou shalt be called the dear wife of him who conquers. Thus having spoken, the goddess infused a tender desire into her mind, 
both of her former husband and of her city and her parents and instantly veiling herself in white linen robes she rushed from her chamber shedding a tender tear not alone for two domestics accompanied her oethra daughter of the pythaeus and large-eyed clymene then they quickly came to where the scaean gates were but priam and panthus and thymoetes lampus clytius isataeon an offshoot of mars ucalegon and antenor both prudent elders of the people sat at the scaean gates long since desisting from war through old age but good orators like unto the cicadea which in the woods sitting on a tree send forth a delicate voice such leaders of the trojans at that time were sitting on the tower but when they saw helen coming to the tower in low tone they addressed to each other winged words it is not a subject for indignation that trojans and well-grieved greeks endure hardships for a long time on account of such a woman in countenance she is wondrous like unto the immortal goddess but even so although being such let her return in the ships nor be left a destruction to us and to our children hereafter thus they spoke but priam called helen coming hither before us dear daughter sit by me that thou mayest see thy former husband thy kindred and thy friends thou art not at all in fault towards me the gods in truth are in fault towards me who have sent against me the lamentable war of the greeks that thou mayest name for me this mighty man who is this gallant and tall grecian hero certainly there are others taller in height but so graceful a man have i never yet beheld with my eyes nor so venerable for he is like unto a kingly man but him helen one of the divine women answered in these words revered art thou and feared by me dear father-in-law would that an evil death had pleased me when i followed thy son hither having left my marriage-bed my brothers my darling daughter and the congenial company of my equals but these things were not done therefore i pine away with weeping but this will i tell thee which thou seekest of me and inquirest this is wide-ruling agamemnon son of atreus in both characters a good king and a brave warrior he was a brother-in-law moreover of shameless me if ever indeed he was thus she spoke but him the old man admired and said o blessed son of atreus happy born fortunate truly indeed were many achaean youths made subject to thee before now i entered vine-bearing phrygia where i beheld many phrygians heroes on fleet horses the forces of otreus and godlike mygdon who encamped there near the banks of the sangarius for i also being an ally was numbered with them on that day when the man opposing amazons came but not even these were so numerous as the black-eyed greeks but next perceiving ulysses the old man answered come tell me of this one also dear daughter who he is he is less indeed in height than agamemnon the son of atreus but is broader to behold in shoulders and breast his arms lie up on the fertile earth but he himself like a ram goes round the ranks of the men i for my part compare him to a thick fleeced ram which wanders through a great flock of snowy sheep but him helen sprung from jove answered now this one again is the son of laertes much scheming ulysses who was bred in the country of ithaca rugged though it be skilled in all kinds of stratagems and prudent counsels her then the sage antenor addressed in reply o lady assuredly hast thou spoken this word very truly for already in former times divine ulysses came hither also 
on an embassy concerning thee with mars beloved menelaus i received them as guests and entertained them in my palace and became acquainted with the genius of both and their prudent counsels but when they were mingled with the assembled trojans menelaus indeed overtopped him as they stood by his broad shoulders but when both were sitting ulysses was more majestic but when they began to weave words and counsels for all menelaus on his part would harangue very fluently a few words indeed but very sweetly since he was not loquacious nor a random talker though he was younger in age but when much counselling ulysses arose he stood and looked down fixing his eyes on the earth but he neither moved his sceptre backwards nor forwards but held it unmoved like an unskilful man you would say indeed that he was a very irritable man as well as devoid of reason but when he did send forth a mighty voice from his breast and words like unto wintry flakes of snow no longer then would another mortal contend with ulysses and behold we then marvelled not so much at the aspect of ulysses as at his words then in the third place having beheld ajax the old man asked who is that other achaean hero valiant and great outtopping the argives by his head and broad shoulders but him long-robed helen answered divine of women this indeed is mighty ajax the bulwark of the achaeans on the other side amongst the cretans stands idomeneus like unto a god but around him the leaders of the cretans are collected often did mars beloved menelaus entertain him in our palace when he would come from crete but now i behold all the other rolling-eyed greeks whom i could easily recognize and pronounce their names but two leaders of the people i cannot see horse-taming castor and pollux skilled in boxing twin brothers whom the same mother brought forth with me either they have not followed from pleasant lycidamon or they indeed have followed hither in the sea traversing ships but now are reluctant to enter the fight of the heroes fearing the disgrace and the many reproaches which are mine thus she spoke but them the life-bestowing earth already possessed there in lycidamon in their dear native land but heralds through the city were bearing the firm pledges of the gods two lambs and joyous wine the fruit of the earth in a goat-skin flagon but the herald idaeus also brought a splendid goblet and golden cups and standing by him incited the old man in these words arise son of laedamon the chiefs of the horse-breaking trojans and of the brazen-mailed greeks call thee to descend into the plain that thou mayest ratify a faithful league for alexander and mars beloved menelaus are about to fight with long spears for the woman but let the woman and the effects attend the conqueror but let the rest of us having struck a friendship and faithful league inhabit fruitful troy and they shall return to horse-feeding argus and to achaea famed for fair dames thus he said but the old man shuddered and ordered his attendants to yoke his horses and they briskly obeyed priam then mounted his chariot and drew back the reins and beside him antenor mounted the beautiful chariot so they guided their fleet steeds through the scaean gates towards the plain but when they had now come between the trojans and the greeks descending from their steeds to the fruitful earth they advanced into the midst of the trojans and the greeks then agamemnon king of heroes immediately arose and much counselling ulysses arose but the illustrious heralds collected together the faithful pledges of the gods and mixed wine in a bowl and poured water upon the hands of the kings 
and the son of atreus drawing with his hands his dagger which was always suspended at the huge sheath of his sword cut off hairs from the heads of the lambs and then the heralds distributed them to the chiefs of the trojans and the greeks amongst them the son of atreus prayed earnestly having stretched forth his hands o father jove ruling from ida most glorious most mighty and thou o son who beholdest all things and nearest all things and ye rivers and thou earth and ye below who punish men deceased whosoever swears with perjury be ye witnesses and preserve the faithful league if on the one hand alexander should slay menelaus let him thenceforth retain helen and all her possessions but let us return in our sea traversing ships but if on the contrary yellow-haired menelaus slay alexander let the trojans then restore helen and all her treasures and pay a fine to the argives such as is just and which may be recorded amongst posterity but if priam and the sons of priam will not pay me the fine on alexander falling then will i afterwards fight on account of the fine remaining here till i find an end of the war he spoke and cut the throats of the lamb with the cruel steel and he laid them on the earth panting wanting life for the brass had taken away their vital strength then having drawn wine from the goblet they poured it into the cups and prayed to the immortal gods but thus some one of the greeks and trojans said o jove most glorious most mighty and ye other immortal gods whoever first shall offend against the leagues so let the brain of themselves and of their children stream upon the ground like this wine and let their wives be mingled with other men thus they said nor yet did the son of saturn ratify their vows then priam the son of dardanus addressed them hear me ye trojans and ye well-grieved greeks i indeed return again to wind-swept ilion since i can by no means endure to behold with these eyes my dear son fighting with mars beloved menelaus jove certainly knows this and the other immortal gods to which of them the event of death is destined he spoke and the godlike man placed the lambs in the chariot and ascended himself and drew back the reins and beside him antenor mounted the very beautiful chariot they on their part returning went back towards ilion but hector on the other hand the son of priam and divine ulysses first measured the ground then taking the lots they shook them in the brazen helmet to decide which should hurl the brazen spear first but the people meantime supplicated and stretched forth their hands to the gods and thus some one of the greeks and trojans said o father jove ruling from ida most glorious most mighty whichever has caused these evil works to both sides grant that he being slain may enter the house of pluto but that to us on the other hand there may be friendship and a faithful league thus then they spoke and now mighty helm-quivering hector shook the lots looking backward and quickly the lot of paris leaped forth they then sat down in their ranks where the fleet steeds of each stood and their varied arms lay but divine alexander the husband of fair-haired helen put on his beauteous armor around his shoulders in the first place around his legs he placed his beautiful greaves fitted with silver clasps then again he put on his breast the corslet of his brother lycaon for it fitted him but around his shoulders he slung his brazen silver-studded sword and then his huge and solid shield but on his valiant head he placed a well-wrought helmet 
crested with horsehair, and the crest nodded dreadfully from above, and he grasped his doughty spear, which fitted to his hands. In this same manner the martial Menelaus put on his arms. But they, when they were armed from each side of the throne, advanced to the middle between the Trojans and Greeks, looking dreadfully. And amazement seized the beholders, both the horse-breaking Trojans and the well-grieved Greeks. They then stood near in the measured-out space, brandishing their spears, incensed against each other. Alexander first hurled his long-shadowed spear, and smote the shield of the son of Atreus, equal on all sides, nor did the brass break, for the point was bent upon the strong shield. But next Menelaus, son of Atreus, commenced the attack with his brazen spear, praying to father Jove, O King Jove, grant me to avenge myself on him who first injured me, and subdue impious Alexander under my hands, that every one, even of future men, may shudder to offer injury to a guest who may have afforded him an hospitable reception. He spoke, and brandishing, he hurled his long-shadowed spear, and smote the shield of the son of Priam, equal on all sides, and through the glittering shield went the impetuous spear, and was stuck firmly into the deftly wrought corslet, and the spear pierced right through his soft tunic beside the flank, but he bent sideways and evaded black death next the son of atreus having drawn his silver-studded sword raising it struck the cone of his helmet but it fell from his hand shivered round about into three or four pieces and the son of atreus groaned aloud looking towards the wide heaven o father jove none other of the gods is more baleful than thou certainly i hoped to be revenged upon alexander for his wickedness but now my sword has been broken in my hands and my spear has been hurled from my hand in vain nor have i smote him he spoke and rushing on he seized him by the horsehair tufted helmet and turning began to drag him to the well-grieved greeks but the richly embroidered band under his tender throat was choking him which was drawn under his chin as a strap of his helmet and now he had dragged him away and obtained infinite glory had not venus the daughter of jove quickly perceived it who broke for him the thong made from the hide of an ox slaughtered by violence and thereupon the empty helmet followed with his strong hand it then the hero whirling round cast to the well-grieved greeks and his dear companions picked it up and he menelaus again rushed on desiring to slay him with his brazen spear but him paris venus very easily as being a goddess rescued and covered him in a thick mist then placed him down in his fragrant chamber exhaling perfumes but she herself on the other hand went to call helen and she found her on the lofty tower and many trojan dames around her then with her hand catching her by the fragrant mantle she shook her and likening herself to an ancient dame a spinner of wool who used to comb fair wool for her when dwelling at lysidamon and she loved her much to her having likened herself divine venus accosted helen come hither alexander calls thee to return home he himself is in his chamber and turned bed shining both in beauty and attire nor wouldst thou say that he had returned after having fought with a hero but that he was going to the dance or that just ceasing from the dance he sat down thus she said and agitated the heart in her breast and when she beheld the all-beauteous neck of the goddess and her lovely bosom and her flashing eyes she was awestruck and spoke a word and said strange one why dost thou desire to deceive me in these things 
wilt thou lead me anywhere farther on to one of the well-inhabited cities either of phrygia or pleasant maeonia if there be any of articulately speaking men dear to thee there is it because menelaus having now conquered noble alexander wishes to bring hated me home that therefore with artful purpose thou now standest near me going sit with him thyself and renounce the path of the gods and mayest thou no more return on thy feet to olympus but always grieve beside him and watch him until he either make thee his consort or he indeed make thee his handmaid but there i will not go to adorn his couch for it would be reprehensible all the trojan ladies henceforth will reproach me but i shall have woes without measure in my soul but her divine venus incensed thus addressed wretch provoke me not lest in my wrath i abandon thee and detest thee as much as heretofore i have wonderfully loved thee and lest i scatter destructive hate in the midst of the trojans and the greeks and thou perish by an evil fate thus she spoke but helen sprung from jove dreaded and she went covered with a white transparent robe in silence and escaped the notice of all the trojan dames for the goddess led the way but when they reached the very beautiful palace of alexander then the maids on their part turned themselves speedily to their tasks but she divine of women ascended into her lofty roofed chamber and then laughter-loving venus carrying placed a seat for her opposite alexander there helen daughter of the aegis-bearing jove sat averting her eyes and reproached her husband with these words thou hast come from the war would that thou hast perished there slain by that brave hero who was my former husband certainly thou didst formerly boast that thou wast superior to mars beloved menelaus in might in hands and at the spear but go now challenge mars beloved menelaus to fight once more against thee but i advise thee to refrain nor unadvisedly wage war and fight against the fair-haired menelaus lest perchance thou mayest be subdued beneath his spear but her paris answering addressed in words woman assail me not in soul with reproachful taunts for now indeed has menelaus conquered by minerva's aid but i in turn will vanquish him for gods are with us also but come let us delight in dalliance reclining together for never before did love so fondly enwrap my soul not even when formerly having borne thee away from pleasant lacedaemon i sailed and sea traversing ships and was united with thee in love and in the couch in the island of Cernea. so now am i enamoured of thee and sweet desire possesses me he spoke and led the way ascending the couch but his wife followed with him they therefore rested upon their perforated couch meanwhile the son of atreus was wandering through the crowd like to a savage beast if anywhere he could perceive godlike alexander but none of the trojans or their illustrious allies could then point out alexander to mars beloved menelaus for neither through friendship would they have concealed him if any one did see him for he was hateful to them all like sable death but amongst them spoke agamemnon king of heroes hear me ye trojans greeks and allies the victory indeed appears to belong to mars beloved menelaus do ye therefore restore argive helen and her treasures with her and pay the fine which is fitting and which shall be remembered by future men thus spoke the son of atreus and the other greeks approved end of book the third read by stephen carney
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.